judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so this week has been a pop culture everything happening. Was it this week? It was, was this it, week. It was. Are, are you talking about like what pop culture? I mean, everything's been happening. Taylor Swift came out with a, an album that I think came out at midnight. I don't know. Yeah, a lot it was about called it. Midnight and it came out at midnight. Yes. Yes. It's called Midnight's. Oh, Midnight's, plural. Okay. Um, the only thing I know about it is um, the backlash from, like, the video. Because I was just, like, on TikTok. And this girl, like, at the first I heard of it, like, this girl is just, like, hysterically crying in a TikTok. And I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? I was like, is this album that good? And it was, um, so she did a music video, Taylor Swift, uh, called, for the song Antihero. And, like, in the video, she's talking about, like, all these self-loathing things and, like, fear of being unloved. And at one point, she steps on a scale, and instead of saying her weight, it just says fat. Uh-huh. So the video that I saw was this, 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 um, I don't want to say plus size, I hate plus size. Um, this girl in a bigger body, uh, plus, I hate plus size, but I'm going to say it. This plus size girl, just crying. Because it was like, hey, I thought Taylor was, like, on my side, like... She's my favorite artist. I love listening to her. And, like, now this girl has become, like, the butt of the joke or, like, the problem. Like, Taylor Swift's worst nightmare is being fat. And this girl is fat. So, like, what does that say about anything? So, yeah. like, people... Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I just, like, I don't know much about this except what I've seen online. And I understand the sentiments. I, on first glance, kind of understood it as, like these are sort of the pressures that society put on her and that yeah. she has internalized. And for, I mean, I would say for better, or for worse, but for worse, obviously. Mm -hmm. And not that she wants to be that way or she wants to think that way, but that it is internalized. I don't know. I, I but I'm not trying to make excuses for her either because it, so other people took to TikTok and Twitter to explain how being fearful of being fat shows internalized fat phobia. Yeah. Like, that's, like, the real issue. But, like, most of those people, uh, they were just told to, like, shut their fat mouths, that, like, this was Taylor's journey. And it's like, but she's part of the problem. It's perpetuating it's it, right? It's yes. one thing for her yeah. to have internalized it. It's another mm -hmm. thing for her as a, a pop culture her figure. Her platform is too big. To to perpetuate that which mm. because it even if the song sort of addresses that like it needs to be like i don't know maybe have some issues of correcting it with it like if she steps on the yeah. scale and sees the word fat that it like does like a record scratch and is like fine or you know like like or i don't know because i don't like the idea of fat being used as a negative term and that's what's that's happening here yeah no that's the exactly the whole thing so like my thought is that like this is taylor's journey and i like got that but i think her platform is too big because like to me she's saying that like being fat is my biggest fear and for me it feels like if being fat wasn't such a horrible thing and we didn't treat people so horribly 
you you could help people who struggle with an eating disorder. You could help people to see that, like, because I thought the people who are struggling with these eating disorders, like, their worst nightmare is to be fat. And why? Because fat people are judged terribly. They're not treated with respect, and they are constantly the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. So seeing fat people being treated this way would make me go, well, I'd rather starve than ever be in their shoes, which perpetuates eating disorders. And, like, I don't don't understand how the connection between, like, fat phobia and – people struggling with eating disorders is not right there. Like for me, it seems like it's right there on the surface, but it it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way to other people. No, I think you're absolutely right. Like I, I would agree with that. There's no way those two things aren't connected, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're trying to live up to X, Y, and Z standards that society Mm -hmm. deems acceptable. And you do everything in your power to like avoid being seen as fat although yeah that the person often like can be as thin as anything and still see themselves mm-hmm. as fat so there's like it, i think it goes a it can go more deeply than that but yeah. it, it starts there right like everything yeah. you're saying I don't know. So, like, as of, like, a day ago, they edited the video. So, like, now she's on the scale, but there's no zoom in on the word fat. But Taylor hasn't made any official statement, which, to me, feels kind of rude. But I'm not a huge Swift fan. I She does have some bangers. I was very into her in, like, the Red album and whatever album that song 22 is on. But she lost my complete respect when she wrote that song, Welcome to New York. Do you know that song? It's terrible. I just love that that's, that's the one that... Because she... I don't know where she's from, but she's not from New York. So you can't write a song welcoming people to a city that you don't live in, and it's terrible. It's like, welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. No, it hasn't. It hasn't been waiting for you. We're, we're full up here in New York. <laughs> Go back to Ohio. People come in here for their... You can come here Taylor from other Swift. countries, but not from other states. <laughs> you know what? Fair. Fair. Absolutely. We'll we'll take you from overseas, but if you're just coming from Ohio, I'm gonna what, need what you if, to What to if go you back. came from New Hampshire? You've been here long enough. You're grandfathered in. It's fine. Right, but like well, I'm I'm just for her, if she's not here at all, that's one thing, but like I just hate that song so much. It's just such a terrible, terrible song. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad there was uh, an acknowledgement of it to some degree, but, you know, I yeah. think you're right about the statement needing to be made to to make sure it's something that she specifically is acknowledging and not just mm-hmm. her, com- like, the record company. Yeah, right? like, oh, the fatties are complaining, do something. Because I, I just feel bad for, like, like, that girl's video, she was so broken up. Because, like, like she, like everyone else, stayed up till midnight to hear this album and to see, like, the video. And, like, that's what you get. Like, you're such a huge fan of someone. And, like, it feels like a little bit of betrayal. And I do feel bad for the fans who felt super connected to her. But, like, I personally don't have a dog in this fight. But I, I do feel bad for, for her fat fans who are now just like, well... Am I, am I part of the problem, Taylor? Like, you know, it makes you take, like... A second look. That, that, that's got to suck. Yeah. But you know what doesn't suck? <laughs> I love when you segue. It's my favorite part of our episodes. <laughs> Halloween is coming up. This yes. episode, Halloween will have already happened when this episode comes out. 
Yeah, it was just a couple days ago. Yes. And neither one of us have plans for Halloween because we suck. But I did have a Halloween party last week. Yep. And that was fun. I was... So I have to explain it from the male part first, which is kind of annoying. But my husband was Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. And I was all the bacon and eggs. Yes. Very creative. Very hot. Actually, the costume was weird. We'll share that. And... and you were there. What were you? Yeah, I was there. Um, I so this was Sean's first Halloween party as an adult, and um, ever really? Yeah, he's worked weekends like his oh entire my God, life, I and feel there's... like I should have done more. <laughs> Make it special. I get it. The bobbing for apples or something fun. <laughs> in 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 a COVID world, no, thank you. I'm not individual apple bobbing for everyone. Everyone gets their own bucket, their own bobble bucket. Um. Yeah. So he's he's one of those people that when it comes to costumes, he wants to look exactly like someone or not at all, and. At the same time, we're trying to save money, so we weren't, like, purchasing items for costumes. So I was like, listen, you can be Dean Winchester. You can wear jeans and a flannel and um, your green jacket. And I have the Samulet necklace for my own cosplay purposes. So I was like, I put that on him. I'm like, there you go. You're Dean Winchester. And you look I, great. <laughs> and I was Castiel. So Because obviously, since I ship them... I had to pair them together <laughs> that way. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I like the trivia part of your Halloween party. That's like I do that my favorite part. Oh, really? Yeah. Aww. So I do. I like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a loser, guys. Like, I get very excited about these things. And I do, like, this whole movie trivia, like, a month before the party. I, like, just started. It's, like, Jeopardy style. And I just, like, started making these questions. Because, like, I don't want to use questions that you could, like, that you can easily Google the answers, but you couldn't just Google the question. Because, like, it's me reading an article on directors and then, like, pulling things out of it to, like, get these questions. Like, I'm... There's, there's as much research goes into the Jeopardy game on Halloween as goes into these episodes. Listen, I'm, I, I am I am no, nothing if not thorough. That This is true. This is true. I think Kim does like 80% of our research for these episodes, and um, she does an amazing job for it. So give her a shout out. Now I'm blushing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's what you deserve. You deserve Aww. to blush. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not really a big Halloween person like I'm not really a big holiday person in general I just like so you don't celebrate Arbor Day makes sense (laughs) but like any of them um I do Christmas because my family does Christmas and so we go and see everyone but um and I do like I guess Christmas is the one like I put up a tree I do it on my terms okay Thanksgiving I prefer to do it in my house and not like, you know, a couple of people, a handful of people come over. You and Theo have come over. We've mm-hmm. had some other friends. But keeping it simple, just in general, I think part of my situation growing up mm. um, with two houses and not always being with certain people on certain holidays, the holidays were just more stressed than they were worth for me. Okay. And I just like... I just can't be bothered. Like 
Valentine's Day, my sister will send us all like little kitty Valentines to each of us and just be like, you know, hey, we love you, blah, 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 happy Valentine's Day. And I'm like, thanks. Like, here's some candy. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, New Year's, I don't leave my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, Fourth of July, I can't be bothered with that, like, America stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to skip. Yeah, I, I mean, fine. Thanksgiving, I can understand why most people would skip it. I like the food part, but mm. that's... See, like, I feel like the grass is greener, right? Because, like, my family... I mean, we used to do get-togethers when I was, like, very young. Like, my grandma was definitely the one who, like, put things together. And when she died, everybody was just like, well, I guess I'll see you whenever. So, like, no one planned anything. So I would love the stress of, like, 20 people on Thanksgiving. Like, I would love to be, like, around, like, a big group. But, like, I don't get that. Like, it's 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 going to be me at your house <laughs> on Thanksgiving, <laughs> which is going to be fun. But, like... I mean, like, I wish that my family got together and suffer holidays. And there definitely is, like, some FOMO when I see, like, people, even for Fourth of July, like, oh, I'm in a barbecue with, like, all my cousins. And I'm just like, I am home. Yeah, in theory, I would like that. But I don't know. It just, I think another thing is when you don't have children, some holidays also seem a little less... Like, there's something about, like, I, and I don't know, maybe that's just not, me. I don't know. I'm, like, a child. Like, Halloween, like, when we do have kids, Halloween is going to be, like, so much more awesome. But, like, I had, like, two costumes this year. Like, I love Halloween. Like, I would do something for the whole month. And I think, like, having a kid will just give me an excuse to do more things. But, yeah, like, you're right. Like, there's not a, like, I was looking at, like, events today for Halloween, and there's, like, a bunch of kid stuff and I was like well I can't just show up to this by myself that's weird but you do have more opportunities to do more things or get more involved if you want to if you have kids because there are more events geared towards children for holidays for sure if you want you can get some candy Mm -hmm. and come over my house on Monday and give it out to the (laughs) trick-or-treaters You know, Honestly, you don't because you don't have trick or treaters in your building. Do you? I don't know. They have like a party for. They have two separate parties for them, and, and like you can, we gave candy to it. But and like you can see Steve Buscemi's costume of choice ooh. this year. You know, that's always a fun thing. Honestly, I might take you up on that. If I take <laughs> you up on that, we'll share it on the on the Instagram. Yeah. So should we should we get on with it? We should. But I have a I have a, a cute thing that I found. Okay. So you know how like. The Postal Service is always trying to, like, get us to buy more things, like stamps. So in 2023, they're going to be putting a Ruth Bader Ginsburg on a stamp. Nice. How All right. I'm in. That? I'm I'm super, like, we're weirdly into stamps in this house. Like, you have people just go and buy stamps. Like, no, we, we find the ones that we like online, and then we go specifically ask for them. And I feel like the people at the post office are so into that. Like, they'd be like, oh, this one's really good. Like, like, oh, do you have the pandas in the snow? Because that's one we were looking for last year pretty hard. <laughs> and they were like, we don't, but like this one does. And then like we went to the next post office and got it. And that's weird. But pandas in the snow are really, really cute. <laughs> so now we can get into it. Okay, so... now we can get into our episode. Um... <laughs> now that we've talked about Halloween, Taylor Swift, and stamps, we can get down to business. We'll be discussing today the one and only Eartha Kitt, an actress and singer from the mid-20th century. We're going to cover her rise to fame from her early singing career to her role as Catwoman and beyond. 
Then we'll look at some of the factors that led to her being ostracized by Hollywood, including one particular interaction with a certain first lady. Finally, we'll cover her involvement with activism, her support for the LGBTQIA plus community, and how she unknowingly opened doors for other actresses. Just some brief trigger warnings. We're not going into depth, but there will be discussions of abuse, rape, and racism. Eartha Kitt was born Eartha May Keith on a cotton plantation in South Carolina on January 17, 1927. Her father was unknown, and her mother, Annie May Keith, may have been raped by the farm owner's white son. That's a heck of a start. Yeah, what an opening statement. Sorry, everyone. So because, well, it doesn't get much better. Um, Because of her fair skin tone, it's assumed that her father was white. Her mother is a mix of Cherokee and African. In order to escape the plantation, Annie May went to live with a man on the other side of town. And not a lot is known about him besides the fact that he wasn't fond of Eartha and actually refused to let her live with them. He apparently took issue with her light skin tone. Like she had any control over that. Mm-hmm. Eartha bounced from family friend to family friend and finally ended up with a woman named Mamie Kitt, where she got her new last name and a new life in New York City. It was in Harlem, New York, that she attended the Metropolitan Vocational High School. Here, she met members of a musical troupe, the Catherine Dunham Company. This group was known for its dancers, singers, actors, musicians. It was also the first African-American troupe of its kind. So some of its alumni are very, very famous. So it includes Alvin Ailey, Rosalia King, Francis Davis. Like, Alvin Ailey should be, like, the biggest one, I think, right? So fun fun little fact, there's this, I don't know, it was some game that we were playing with my family one year, and there was a trivia question about, like, this person's ballet, blah, 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 blah. And like Sean and I were the only ones who knew the answer. And -hmm. it was literally thanks to the ads in the subway for the Alan Ailey (laughs) performances. We're like, yes, we got it. They're so striking though. Like the ads usually have, we'll see if we can find one. The ads usually have um, just someone doing this like extreme ballet pose, like one foot on the ground, one foot straight in the air and just like arms outstretched. And it just says like, Alvin Ailey. I've always, I saw them, I saw one of his groups perform when I was much younger, but I would totally go again. You, so you went to go, you went to the opera, which I thought was very fancy. And I was like, I should be doing fancy things. Like this is New York. What are we doing? Here's the thing, secret that people don't really know. The opera doesn't have to be that fancy, right? Mm -hmm. Our tickets were $30 each. That's really good. They are in the very like back section. It's called the family circle and they're like Mm -hmm. way up high. But honestly, the way the seats are positioned, you have a pretty good view. Yeah, because it's like stacked. And uh, operas in the the one we went to see was in Russian. It has subtitles on the back of the chair, so you can see like the translation of what's being sung on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I actually sent my students to the opera for a class assignment. I teach arts in New York City class. And a lot of them were like, well, it wasn't for me. I'm really glad I went because that's one of those things that like, I feel like, especially if you've lived here forever, you just don't think about getting around to doing it. But like $30 a piece is not Mm -hmm. terrible for for something like that. And the one we went to see was very, um, it was contemporary. I mean, it was written in the 1930s. Uh, so a contemporary-ish, because yeah. we think of operas as like 17th, 18th century and so on. Like um, this was a, a slightly more modern 
you know. I'm going to steal your syllabus. I, I want to do, you know what? Maybe that uh, it's too early for New Year's resolutions, but maybe like ne- next year I'll do more cultural things. Because you're right. Like when you live here long enough, like you just, you put your head down, you go to work, you go home. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's so much culture around us that we're not paying attention to until it's like, oh, it's summer. Let's go sit in like Central Park. But like there's all these other things you could yeah. be doing or I could be doing. I should just be doing them. I want to, I want to do more stuff. We should go. We should go see an Avonelli performance. Watch it be like $3,000 and we're like, well, now we can't. <laughs> there's, there's a cheap way to get everything. We'll figure it out. Yes. So let's get back to Eartha. Yes. Let's do it. So Eartha's school life was thriving. It was a pleasant escape from her home life. Her caretaker, Mamie, was becoming abusive, which led to Kit running away more than a few times. She often slept on roofs and on the subway to avoid going home. Her work with the Catherine Dunham Company was starting to pay off. After performing with them from 1943, she left the company in 1948 when approached to record an album. Her singing was sultry and raspy, and it was unlike anything that people have heard. So she was pretty big in demand. Yeah, her voice is amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going through looking into her a bit more and listening to her singing, and it's just like, wow, amazing. I feel like we know very little about her early life, but um, Mm. we're going to get into what happened next in her career. By 1954, Kit had released the album That Bad Eartha. Love that name. Right. This is the album that features the song Santa Baby. The lyrical content of the song was too much for the fair people of 1953, and the tune was banned in the southern states. So this album also featured other songs that were just as frisky. Uh, One was called I Wanna Be Evil. Kate cultivated the image of a sultry seductress and self-mockingly called herself a sex kitten. I have thoughts on that that terminology, whether, I I mean, I guess it's one thing if you call it, call yourself that, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, like... Making that sort of like animal parallel is weird to me. <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder, I mean, I would like to look up like the history of sex kitten. Like when was it first used? Right. And I mean, her last name is half of that. So I that's guess why I think it's it funnier. Because <laughs> people probably always called her some sort of like kitty cat. And she was just like, I'm a sex kitten. <laughs> <laughs> Kit was making a name and presence for herself. Not only did she sing, dance, and act, she also spoke four different languages. All of this talent led her to perform overseas. While working in the Paris nightclub circuit, she met Orson Welles. And that name should sound familiar, right? He was the American director who is most famously known for directing Citizen Kane. Boo, that movie's terrible. I feel like you might not hate it as much if you hadn't been forced to watch it 8,000 times Every film class. Every film. Like, we get it. It was, I think I had, like, the first tracking shot ever. Like, we get it. It is yeah. visually pleasing, but it is a boring, boring film. I, I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but I watched it just, like, casually on my own and, like, was, like... I like this. I like this message. This guy is just like, I don't feel bad for him, but also I get, like, I just like the idea of having someone's backstory. It's a sled. Spoiler. <laughs> no, there's a, there's like an episode of Family Guy where um, Peter like rents Citizen Kane. And then I guess he records over the tape like five minutes and he's like, it was a sled. I just saved you two hours because it's such a long, <laughs> such a long movie. And it's, I don't know, there were, there are certain movies 
that are just like whiny for no reason. Like it kind of reminds me of um, and this is another, I guess, a hot Christmas take. It's a Wonderful Life. Fucking terrible. I hate that movie. Okay, now we're not friends anymore. Moo, my life is dear. Shut up. Everybody's got problems. Nobody cares. <laughs> but it, it's another like whiny movie to me. Like I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it reminds those two movies suck so terribly to me. I don't know. I don't know that we can be friends anymore. <laughs> really? Because It's a Wonderful Life is my maybe third favorite Christmas movie. Well, okay. So I don't have. I don't. I don't even like Christmas movies. So I'm. My opinion doesn't count. <laughs> I don't even like Christmas movies. No, I absolutely adore that movie. And although the the one part that's most unbelievable is that, like, Mary in this alternate universe where um, she doesn't marry George, like, she becomes an old maid and works at the library. And I was like, girl, <laughs> get it. <laughs> that's the way to go. <laughs> I guess. Actually, I no, I like Die Hard. This is my number one Christmas movie, I, mean, I guess. It's legit. I don't like it's Christmas comedies. I'm thinking I was like Elf. Oh, I hated Elf. <laughs> what? We can't be friends. I don't like any Christmas movies, but the ones I like, you hate. And vice versa. <laughs> Elf is so good. Why didn't you like Elf? I I just thought it was overrated. Like I to be fair, okay. I only watched it last year for the first time, and I was just like, really? Oh. Really? People have hyped it up for a very long yeah, yeah. Like if you just watched it. Just, yeah, I got that. Also, I, I don't about. I don't like Will Ferrell that much. He's an acquired taste. Sometimes he's too much in things. He's like um he's like garlic. A little bit of him, great. Too much, it ruins the whole dish. That's all you taste, and you taste it for like hours after. Oh, see, I'm one of those like there's never enough garlic to people how are we overpowering (laughs) i don't know it's overpowering sometimes i like garlic but it can be overpowering yeah raw garlic especially raw garlic yes that's what i'm thinking so i rephrase will ferrell is raw garlic like him (laughs) in old school is good but he can be too much have you never seen old school I don't think now this whole thing is just about movies. (laughs) We need to get back to Eartha Kitt. Let's get back to Eartha Kitt. So let's get back to Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah. That's who we were talking about. And how, what what did he do? Well, the coolest thing that Orson Welles did was to hire Eartha Kitt to be Helen of Troy for his staging of Dr. Faustus. This performance was very well reviewed and opened the door for more Broadway and television opportunities. So doors were opening. But so were hearts. Again, I love your fucking transitions. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1960, Kit married a man named John William MacDonald. We found so little on this man. Like, I don't even know how they met. But he was a veteran from the Korean War and he was in the real estate business. That's all I got. Like, I could not find. I don't Maybe his name is so generic that like, or maybe he's just a generic person. Who knows? But anyway. Generic white guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had to be something special for Eartha Kitt to be like this one because yeah. she seems like such a big personality but like I don't know maybe opposites attract who knows I can't speak on his name I don't know enough about him to say that he was some milk toast dude but like maybe <laughs> who knows maybe so they had a daughter that they named Kit and I love this so much because it feels so much cooler than like a junior or the third so in an interview, the adult Kit, now known as Kit Shapiro, explained how her mother got her name. 
She says she named me Kit because she wanted to make sure that her name would be carried on regardless of whether I turned out to be a boy or a girl. I love that. You know, I know yeah. there's definitely a lot of people who who do that if they like I know someone who took their their last name, their maiden name and gave mm-hmm. it to uh, their son when they were born. I know that was something one of my sisters had considered for a while. It, it's a great way to make things carry on. It doesn't work for mm-hmm. some of us. No, it wouldn't have worked for me. I mean, <laughs> my old name was Flood. Like, that's... What a poor child. Like, I mean, it's hard enough having that as a last name, a first name. Forget it. Any drip of water. Well, Kimberly must have done it. It, it. People aren't original. And, like, that is a first name. Flood is a first name would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. I won't make my I mean, suffer through that. It could have worked... I could have taken Sean's last name and turned it into a kid's first name, but... Your last name would be a really good first thing. My last name? Yeah. Solois Solois isn't even a like that's not if you I mean, but like if you're thinking outside the box, like I think names should be more than just like Betty and Katie. Like, you know, like I I like more dramatic names, names that have like, ooh, I've never heard that before. Like that's how you stand out, you know? I said Kimberly, but you know. As someone whose last name is constantly mispronounced i don't think i would put that torture on again i get yeah yeah anyway i just think that that would be a really pretty girl's name Solis. all right well you can you can have it you can give your daughter that name we the list of names that we have for like this future kid who's yeah. not anywhere on the anywhere on the uh the calendar she got a lot of names all right well Solis is up there all right i've <laughs> John, though, unfortunately, um, he he had some issues. He developed an addiction to pain pills after complications from knee surgery. And because of his mood swings and Kit's constant traveling, their marriage just really wasn't working out. So Kit filed for divorce in 1963, citing mental cruelty, which, you know, it's that's a lot more than just like irreconcilable differences kind of thing. So Kit sued for child support as well. And she won her case getting a hundred dollars a month. So like, I have questions about how they got to that number. Like, was it because it was the sixties? Was it because she was a performer or because she was biracial? Like that number seems very, very low. So, you know, was it the 60s? Was it because she was biracial? I, why not both? Probably. Mm-hmm. My own personal experience, I know that a lot of it has to do with employment of the non-custodial parent. Mm-hmm. And I looked this up because I wanted to see. My parents got divorced in 85, I think it was. Um and just a few years before, in 1978, the average was 150 a month. Okay. I don't think $100 is very low, actually. Hmm. It seems low. So, like, I guess in 2019, the average in the U.S. was $721 a month. Hawaii had the most with over 1000 a month, but some states were only, like, a couple hundred. It was, it was really interesting to look up these numbers. Uh, New York's average monthly child support is $895. And I guess that's for the whole state. So it's not just the city. I wonder if they factor in like cost of living. They have to, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, that would make sense for Hawaii. It's cost of living. 
it's the non-custodial parents' um, income, mm-hmm. and then it's also split in half, right? Because they're only covering the second half of the the costs. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the idea that in nineteen in the nineteen sixties it would cost like two hundred dollars a month to support a child. Probably not. I mean, Fair. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But I do think that, like, if it was on the low side, race probably had a factor. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, maybe she, maybe she had, I mean, she filed for it. So, I mean, she probably filed for it because it's like, this is my right and I will file for it. Yeah, but absolutely. It, it seems low. But I guess it doesn't seem low if the average in 1978 was 150. Like, it probably is right. Yeah. For 1963. That that feels right. It's just weird because, like, we weren't around in that time period to think about, like, $100 today would not get you anywhere, right? No. Because I'm thinking, I was like, that wouldn't even buy you diapers or, like, milk or anything. But maybe back then, like, diapers grew on the diaper tray. So it was just like... <laughs> they were probably cloth. <laughs> two pennies, please. You know, like, you paid for things in hugs. So she, you know, she got the... The child support that she got, you know, and this allowed her to to help raise her daughter in, in mm. a better way than she would have otherwise. Yeah. And like be the best mother that she could be. And like motherhood didn't slow Kit down at all. She and her daughter were basically inseparable um, from the moment that Kit, little Kit, was old enough to be on a plane that you were traveling. So little Kit grew up. I'm going to stop calling her little Kit because she's like a whole like adult now. So Her daughter grew up on sets and was about nine when her mom landed a very historical gig. In 1966, Eartha Kitt was asked to replace Julie Newmar on ABC's Batman, co-starring Adam West. The show was super campy and Kitt was to play the villain, Catwoman. Did I ever tell you the story of the time where Adam West was rude to me? (laughs) No. Okay, so like picture it. Not 19. 2000... Two? No. 2006, possibly. I'm at a a monster movie convention in Jersey, in some hotel in Jersey. Like, it's very, very tiny. My friend, my friend at the time and her brother were like, we should go. Spike from Buffy's going to be there. So I was like, sold. Let's do it. Had no money for photo ops. So we're like, let's just go and like be nice and see what happens. So like my friend's brother was like, oh, Adam West is here and I want to get this thing signed. So this was, like, the height of Family Guy, and he did, like, the voice of, like, the mayor on Family Guy. And, like, I'm got to be, like, maybe 19, maybe 20 at this point. And I'm just like, oh, Family Guy, I know that. So, like, we're leaving this, like, empty room because, like, no one has shown up for this thing. So Adam West, like, signs the stuff for my friend's brother. And I go, love you on Family Guy. And he goes, yeah, because that's the only thing I've ever fucking done. And I'm just like... I'm like 19, sir. Like, I was like, I like what? I was so perplexed that this old man was so rude to me after I just like complimented him. And it's like, okay, I didn't compliment you on the thing that you're the most famous for. But like at the time, people were like, oh shit, Adam West is on Family Guy. That's kind of cool. So I will always think of him as being so rude to me. Like my face, like I don't think I was 19. I think I might've been like 17, 18. Like I was pretty young. I remember just being shocked and like, I felt bad. And then later I was like, why should I feel bad, Adam West? Like, how dare you? He was really rude about it. So yeah, that's, I hope ugh. he wasn't rude to Eartha Kitt. Uh, yeah. Now I, now I wonder. 
I don't know enough about him, clearly, as he let me know. But um, <laughs> I, whenever I see his name pop up, I was like, that old man, that old jerk, so rude to me for no reason. So back to Batman. Not Adam West. Let's just, let's look at him as, let's separate the person from the character, right? Let's do it. So the producers of Batman, um, Bill Dozer and Charles B. Fitzsimmons, were the ones who picked Eartha to play the new Catwoman. So they spoke on it and they said, we felt that it was a very provocative idea, said Charles. She was a Catwoman before we ever cast her as Catwoman. She had cat. She had a cat-like style, her eyes were cat-like, and her singing was a meow. This came as a wonderfully offbeat idea to do it with a black woman. Uh, I, I don't know. Her singing was like a meow. Like, I don't. Is this cringe? Like, this quote to me seems cringe, but maybe it's just how I'm reading it. I know now that we're talking about how, like, she was, she called herself a sex kitten, like, I Mm -hmm. guess it seems a little less cringy, but, like, I don't know. She was a cat woman before we ever cast her. I I I so I have this in my head under the context of like 1960. I picture this guy with like a little fedora and a a cigar and a martini, and he's excited at telling this story. And like I think I don't think it's cringe. I think it's cringe now, but I think back then it was just like this dude's really excited, and they got to cast like a black woman. And what a wonderful offbeat idea! <laughs> like that seems so silly to me. But like back then, yeah, like this was unheard of yeah. like they were making history so like i'll let them have it uh, i'll let them have it. it it was actually pretty huge right you know there were very few women of color on tv in the 1960s so eartha kit was very aware of how important the role was to current and future generations and everyone loved the casting choice and of course everyone was so happy to see diversity Yay! is what i would say if this were a perfect world oh <laughs> But when kids had, when kids casting was announced, Southern states were outraged. The producers fought back, but they did give in a little bit and compromise and promised to tone down the sexual tension and the romance between Batman and Catwoman. The two had a crazy amount of sexual tension. They flirted, they fought, you know, all the good things. Um, Kit was going to do it all in a skin-tight bodysuit. You know, as someone who's watching the Harley Quinn animated series of it now, like... Mm-hmm. There's no tension between Batman and Catwoman. They are just no, straight up together. Yeah. <laughs> but the the Batman-Catwoman relationship in Harley Quinn season three is definitely amusing, if nothing Is she else. still a villain? Yeah. The bedroom talk. Like, <laughs> I robbed a bank today. Honey, I told you. Could you please stop robbing banks before I have to put you in Arkham? <laughs> You'll never put me in Arkham. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, for context and clarity on this whole situation, let's take a look at the time period, right? Black women and television, relationships between Batman and Catwoman, two fictional characters. Mm-hmm. But this is 1967, right? And the case of Loving versus Virginia, which was the case that decriminalized interracial relationships, was decided on June 12th of 1967. Eartha Kitt's Catwoman debuted on Batman December 14th, 1967. So, yeah, saying that the, that relationship would ruffle a few feathers, that's definitely an understatement, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's six months later. But it, this wasn't happening everywhere, right? Many northern uh, western states had already uh, abolished these laws banning interracial marriage. So uh, it was really uh, an issue that was stemming from the south, it seems, more than anything yeah. else. I mean, the first 
kiss between a black woman and a white man on television. We talked about this in one of our little rep episodes. Mm-hmm. Didn't take place until a year later on November 22nd, 1968. Do we remember who this was? Um, I'm guessing if it was a little rep episode, it was Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Nichelle, it was between Nichelle Nichols and William Shitner. No, that was not a mispronunciation. <laughs> Wait, do you mean that like him? Is that what we're pronouncing his name? Yes. Okay. I'm like, I don't know. He's a terrible person, especially on social media. What what did he do? Why don't I know this? Oh, he's just, he's a very much like an online bully. It's really gross and icky. and Like, I feel like, hot take, not so hot take. I feel like a lot of boomers are internet bullies. Yes. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) They like have nothing else to do. I'm gonna Google this later. Yes. To see like what else he's. Did he say anything like in particular that you? I, there's share? nothing that like off the top of my head is coming to mind at the moment because it's been a while trashed. since I blocked him. Like oh god, I just like I don't want to <laughs> see his stuff on my timeline. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. All right. We can That's separate so him from Captain Kirk. There are other actors who play Captain Kirk. So true. Okay. So, with the tension between the cat and the bat fizzling out, there was room for Catwoman to be the best villain that she could be. The writers no longer needed to have a balance between villain and love interest, so they went full-on villain, kind of like William Shatner, <laughs> um, giving Kit more to do acting-wise. So, Kit's Catwoman got to be more of an equal to Batman. She got a hideout called the Cat Lair. She even got her own car that was called the Kitty Car, you know. <laughs> At this point, Kit was so famous that she was actually invited to the White House. So in January 1968, Eartha Kit met with the First Lady during a White House luncheon on crime in America. Kit had worked with many youth programs and thought the luncheon would be a great meeting of the minds. In the documentary, Catwoman vs. the White House, directed by Scott Kalanico, Kit spoke of the women in the room not being there for actual change, but to suck up to the boss. In this case, Lady Bird Johnson. When it was Kit's time to speak, she spoke about what families and boys on the streets were expressing to her. Kit said, you send the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. She followed it up with, the children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They are not hippies for no reason at all. We don't have what we have on Sunset Boulevard for no reason. They are rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of this country, particularly mothers. They feel that they are going to raise sons. And I know what that's like. And you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children and send them to war. But like, where was the lie? Like, that's all factual. It absolutely is, you know, but some people don't like to hear that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Lady Bird was upset. And there was a rumor that she cried, but both she and Kit deny that. So, well, I mean... Yeah, we don't need the white lady tears, but <laughs> that re- that reminds me. Remember when like they're like Meghan Markle made Kate cry, and it was like a whole thing. It's like why? What is this narrative of like black women making like white women cry? And it's like they're so terrible. They made this sweet lady cry. That's such a weird narrative. Yeah. Well, like I said, at least um, not only does she deny it, but Eartha Kitt also denies it. Hmm. Eartha did say. One woman who was sitting to my right, she leaned over and whispered to me. She said, thank you, Eartha, for saying what you've said. We all feel the same way. Kit goes on to say, but unfortunately, 75% of the women in this room's husbands worked for President Johnson, so they couldn't say anything about what they really felt. Then suddenly, the meeting was over. 
The car that had dropped Kit off at the White House was also suddenly gone, leaving her to hitchhike back to her hotel. That feels real petty. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like what you said. Walk home. Whoops, your car's gone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's not like they didn't have the money. Like, it was just a a car to, like, in Washington. Like, it was only going within Washington. Like, that's that's really petty. Mm Mm-hmm. But the pettiness, uh, how petty the White House actually got, we wouldn't find out until years later. So the White House and President Johnson had started a CIA dossier on Eartha Kitt. So that's basically a file containing detailed records about her. The dossier contained comments about Eartha Kitt's sex life, her family history. It also included negative opinions and comments from people who had worked with her in the past. So basically the government wrote like a burn book about her. (laughs) They've got plenty of them, right? (laughs) They've got burn books on all of us. They do. (laughs) This was not the first time someone spoke out about the war and ended up on a list. Uh, Two other women that we've covered previously, Jane Fonda and Yoko Ono, both had wiretaps and dossiers. Unlike the others, though, Kit had been blacklisted. Suddenly contracts and bookings that she had in place were just gone. In the documentary, she says, I didn't realize that I was being rejected in the United States when I couldn't find work. I thought, well, maybe my popularity is waning. That's messed up, though. Like, you don't even know for certain what it is. Well, yeah, like, no one sent your your manager a letter saying, hey, this is what's happening. Like, she needs to move on. Just, like, all of a sudden, like, you don't even have, like, a manager and things are weird. But, like, that's crazy. But she, yeah, she pivoted. So as the work dried up in the U.S., Kit focused her time and energy in Europe and Asia. Her daughter went to school in London, and they consider England their second home. Nearly 10 years later, Kit was invited back to the White House by then-President Carter. Carter announced that he was glad to have her back. Most viewers and reporters of the time took that message to be a personal one, a way of apologizing for the blacklisting and maybe even forgiving her for her comments about the war. Because, you know, she was right. But, like, if she was the one who was right, she should be the one forgiving them or deciding whether or not to forgive them. It shouldn't be the other way around. Like, what What are they forgiving her for? She didn't do anything. Listen, she was a black lady who got too uppity about something. And for that, she needed to apologize. <sighs> That's what America tells black women. Even if you were right about something, you made somebody feel bad with your opinion. So you should apologize for it. Ugh. Yes. So this wasn't only her return to the White House, it was her return to America, to Hollywood, to Broadway. Kids career had a resurgence. Like, she was creating music, she was performing from New York to a residency in Las Vegas. She even had a performance at the San Quentin prison. She also started getting more and more acting roles on the big screen, starring in... Starring in Boomerang with Eddie Murphy and Holly Berry, along with appearances in Harriet the Spy, Holes, and Friday Foster with Pam Gear, just to list a few. Some of our younger listeners might know her voiceover work as she was quite prolific. She was on The Magic School Bus, Happily Ever After, Fairy Tales for Every Child, every version of The Emperor's New Groove, The Wild Thornberries, and Wonder Pets. Was she... Yes. What's the name? What's her name? Ismay. Pull the lever, crank. Ismay. Wrong level. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> her. <laughs> yeah. I can see her name, but. Uh, she's also popped up on TV shows pretty often. Uh, My Life as a Teenage Robot, The Famous Jet Jackson, The Nanny, Living Single. And that's it, right? No. No, because she was also on Broadway. So she was in Wild Party in 2000, where she earned two big nominations. Unfortunately, no wins. 
she earned a Tony, Tony nomination for Best Featured Actress in a Musical and then a Drama Desk Award nomination for Outstanding Feature Actress in a Musical. She toured with productions of Cinderella, The Wizard of Oz, and Blues in the Night uh, and took over for Chino Rivera in the 2003 revival of Nine. When she wasn't performing, she was trying to solve the mystery that was herself. She didn't even know her father's name or her true date of birth. After seven or eight months of petitioning the court, hiring a lawyer, and going back and forth from the north to the south, Kit was finally allowed to view her birth certificate in a judge's chambers. So in 1998, she and her daughter were granted 15 whole minutes with the document. Kit recalls the moment as being so emotional that she cried. Sadly, her father's name had been redacted from the document. It's not like she could just go in there with her phone and take a picture. <laughs> I mean, I, she could have had a camera. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have allowed yeah, that. I just 15 minutes. Mean? 15 minutes just seems very random to me. <laughs> it does. But also I forgot about because I thought that too, I was like, well, I hope she took a picture of it. But it was 1998. So, yeah. Like, I mean, cameras existed. Yeah. Oh. But like they weren't great. Yeah. I just I found 15 minutes to be like a strange amount of time. Mm-hmm. Right. For some reason, the local officials felt the need to cover up the information of who was her father. Eartha Kitt was 71, so her father was, I mean, I would say clearly dead. Odds are pretty low he was still alive anyway. Yeah. Uh, But the courts were still protecting him, stating that it was legal to withhold the information found on documentation. Like, I guess, but, like, what is, what is the point, government officials? Like, it kind of feels like her father must have been somebody notable in town and, like, definitely white because they would not have cared this much if it were just a black guy. Yeah, absolutely. In her book, Eartha and Kit, A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White, Kit's daughter, Kit Shapiro, says that she believes that this failure to find out her mother's origins explains her tortured relationship with the South and her own identity. She states... My mother never really felt comfortable in her own skin because she never really knew who she was until then. She did not even know how old she was. She had always put January 26, 1926 on her passport, but she was actually born on January 17, 1927. Only three weeks shy of her 82nd birthday, Kit lost her battle with colon cancer and died on Christmas Day in 2008. She left her only daughter, Kit, and a very long legacy. So let's dig a little beyond Kit's big reputation. She was too sexy. Too sexy for... Well, I don't know. Too sexy for Orson Welles? I don't know. I was trying to think of the (laughs) lyrics to that song and I couldn't. For her car, her kitty car? (laughs) Orson Welles once called Eartha Kit the most exciting woman alive. She was known for being one of the first African-American sex symbols. From her seductive dance numbers to literally purring as Catwoman... Kit was sexy AF. She had a bold and confident stage persona that was inviting. People couldn't help but to be drawn to her performances. Kit's racial ambiguity helped her break down barriers that might have been in place for someone with a darker skin tone. Her looks were, quote unquote, exotic for the time. And since she was so well-traveled and spoke so many languages, this only amplified how exotic she seemed. So we are in no way saying that she only became famous because of the color of her skin. Absolutely not. Did it open the door? Yes. But the staying power that she had stems from her personality and her perseverance. I don't just want to, like, jump on the South in this episode, but life was basically terrible for her when she lived there. 
Combine that with the fact that she was born in 1927 and life was probably terrible for everyone back then. But because of Kit's mixed race and her skin tone, she was never accepted as a child. Both black and white people in the South didn't want her around. Her mother and her mother's new husband disowned her because of her skin tone. It's very likely that Kit was a product of rape. That, paired with the lack of options in the 1920s for black women, probably put her mother between a rock and a hard place. Not giving her mother a pass here for sending her away, but the other options might have been worse for both of them. It's also good to note that her mother was 16 at the time, so, like, how much choice did she really have? Yeah, and, you know, when I think about that, the fact that she was a 16-year-old potential rape victim, like, I might actually give her a pass. And, And maybe she thought it was giving her daughter a better opportunity to not raise her. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, You know, the years of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse changed Kit, but she didn't hide her past. She spoke out about the abuses and encouraged other victims to speak out, too. According to her daughter, Eartha Kitt's childhood shaped how she saw and treated people. Shapira states, She didn't understand our society's need to treat each other differently because of the color of one's skin. And she didn't understand injustices for other people's religion, beliefs, or social beliefs. And she felt that we were all entitled to live side by side. So when she could make an impact, you know, my mother would explain to me that it doesn't take, you don't have to have the biggest soapbox. You don't have to have the loudest voice. Everybody can affect change. Eartha didn't have a soapbox that day at the White House, but she did use her voice to speak about the unseen victims of the Vietnam War and its effect on the black community. Again, she wasn't the only celebrity that had something to say about the war, but it seems like her blacklisting might have come from embarrassing the First Lady. Kit had been invited, and maybe Lady Bird Johnson thought that she would just smile and nod like the other women in the room, but that was not her style. Isn't Lady Bird the name of somebody's dog? I don't know. Lady Bird. Maybe, but it's if it is, it's named after the First Lady. I guess. But like that's her like that's not even her real name. Like that's a nickname that we all just not we. I yeah, actually her, like, when I saw her 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 real first name, I was like, wait, what <laughs> And then I was like I did too because I was like, okay, I didn't think that her name was actually Ladybird, but like I realized I never questioned what her actual name is. Yeah. And we won't tell you. You gotta look it up. And also look up whose dog is named Ladybird, because that's a thing in my head too, and I can't remember it. Anyway, Kit wasn't new to the world of activism. She was a very, very big supporter of Martin Luther King Jr. Maybe Lady Bird didn't do enough vetting. Kit had a long life, and many people felt the impact of it. So we know that she was anti-war, but she was also pro-youth. She committed herself to many youth causes. She worked with groups like Rebels with a Cause... And with them, she testified before the House General Subcommittee on Education. She established the Kittsville Youth Foundation, a nonprofit organization for underprivileged youth in the Watts area of Los Angeles. Her goal was to give kids something else to do so they wouldn't end up on the streets. She taught dance to children who couldn't afford lessons. Here they learned personality development, poise, grooming, diction, and physical fitness. Kit found herself performing at many LGBTQ events and gained a large gay following. When asked why in an interview, Kit explained, We're all rejected people. We know what it's like to be refused. We know what it is to be oppressed, depressed, and then accused. And I'm very much cognizant of that feeling. Nothing in the world is more painful than rejection. I am a rejected, oppressed person, so I understand them as best I can, even though I am a heterosexual. 
Kit's role as Catwoman is really impactful as well. As the first Black woman to play Catwoman, she had a hand in shaping the character. Kit was aware of how important her role was as the first woman to play such an iconic character. And if she was terrible, they would have never had another one. She was a trailblazer indeed, opening up the door for Halle Berry, Zoe Kravitz, and even Saniya Lathan, who have also played the famous villain. Kit was an inspiration to so many black women looking to go into acting. We have to remember that there were only a handful of women of color on TV at that time. For Kit, Catwoman wasn't just a defining role, but an empowering character that enabled her to be just as impactful in real life. Catwoman and Kit share similar characteristics. Both are sexy, smart, boys, and a little bit bad. We love to see it. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. I think Eartha Kitt's pretty cool. Um, I didn't know a ton about her before this, and she seems really great. Uh, she made a tremendous impact, but she had such a sad start. Like, she literally picked cotton on a farm when she was a kid. Like, her life tells us that you can do anything given the ambition. Like, you don't have to be cruel or undercutting either. Like, she was a great friend and a wonderful mother, and she spoke her mind without apologies. Yeah, to me, like, I don't know, like, if there's anyone who truly does not deserve to have a big reputation, I think it's Eartha Kitt. Like, she was literally just a woman trying to live her life. But she was black, and she was unashamed, and she spoke her mind. So she was labeled as trouble and even blacklisted from Hollywood, right? Like, if that truly stemmed from her interaction with Lady Bird Johnson, like, that's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, but now I'm, I'm piggybacking off what you're saying. I'm thinking about this interaction where, like, there's so many things that we've seen in history where, like... A white woman will have a negative reaction to something a black woman says, and then the consequences are there for the black woman. And, like, thank God she was able to, like, bounce back from this, and people were able to give her a second chance because she had a huge second act, you know? Like, she worked up until, like, the month before she died. She was on Broadway. Like, she had talent, Mm -hmm. and she deserved to be where she was. And, like, this interaction with this white woman derailed her for 10 years. Well, derailed her in the United... In her home country for 10 years. Like, that's insane and if she didn't have a big enough platform she could have been done forever think about how many other women of color who were just don't have a career because like some white lady was like i'm mad that you said that thing you embarrassed me in front of my friends yeah and this is just the sort of in your face example of that which Mm -hmm. clearly happens uh on a more widespread scale than than just the people that we're covering in these episodes Uh, so we do have a few resources and references for you if you want to learn more about Eartha Kitt. Catwoman versus the White House, directed by Scott Kalanico. Eartha and Kit, a daughter's love story in black and white by Kit Shapiro. I'm Still Here, Confessions of a Sex Kitten by Eartha Kitt. And Rejuvenate, It's Never Too Late, also by Eartha Kitt. I love that she wrote some of her own books as well. She also wrote one we didn't mention here, but she wrote one called like Thursday's Child in like 1958. And like it became a big inspiration for David Bowie. Oh, all right. Very random. I picked that up and I was just like, oh, of course she did. Like, of course, like (laughs) her career was like not just starting, but she was like early on in it. And she was just like, I'm gonna write a book. Awesome. Good for her. So let us know what you thought about this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rip Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, and even your litter. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod. Or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout-out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini-episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Joyce Bryant. So we also want to take some time to thank our current Patreon members. Thank you so much for supporting us, Kristen E., Naomi A., and TJ. Thank you all. You're awesome. All right. Let's wrap this episode up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this time? So I found a very good Eartha Kitt quote, which like is easy because she's awesome and just like says awesome things all the time. I am learning all the time. The tombstone will be my diploma. It's awesome. Right? And as always, believe women. Bryant recalled being on the bill with some big name singers and she didn't want to be upstaged. I mean, well, how could you be? Like you're completely solar from head to toe. Like, I love it. You are now, you are the stage. But like, radiator paint? <laughs> but I radiator mean, paint. <laughs> I know. But I'm sure she was like just in the dressing room and it was like, what do we have? And they were like, here's this radiator paint. And I'm sure that she wonders for her hair and scalp. Oh yeah. Just like let all that lead right into yeah. your follicles. <laughs> No. Ah.